Very good. Good morning. Uh, yeah, before we jump in, we were singing a couple of songs back. I love this hymn. We've, we sing it pretty frequently here, Great God of Glory, Take This Heart of Stone and Make It Flesh. And it was just thinking as we sing it that, that there is an already aspect of that and a not yet aspect of that in the Bible, right? The Bible says in, in one sense, when, when someone comes to Christ, he removes this heart of stone and he replaces, he gives us a new heart. The spirit comes to dwell in us and actually helps us, it, it, like the song says, beat for God alone, right? Above all things. Um, but the experience of that in our life is a slow and gradual process, isn't it? Of that, that new, new heart really beating for God alone. Um, yesterday, Betsy and I spent the day um, at, at the second half of a conference. We weren't able to go on Friday, but yesterday we were called Empowered to Connect, and it was down at Costa Mesa, and it was uh, put on a lot of Grace uh, families uh, who are involved with Project Hope were there. And uh, I'm going to tell you all about it, but uh, the last two sessions of the day were taught by this woman, Karen Purvis, who's been this amazingly gifted and godly woman at helping parents uh, 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 help heal kids from really hard places, kids who have uh, <clears throat> gone through orphanages and foster systems and, and gone through unspeakable things. And we watched all these little video clips of, of her over the years working with some of these kids that no one could work with and, and <clears throat> little by little drawing them out and uh, like we just sang, uh, bringing chaos back into order. And that's what God does, right? As we gather uh, around his word and worship, he is so patient with us. Snuck up on me, get you choked up thinking that those videos I was watching yesterday and saying, oh, I'm so thankful that someone knows how to help kids in that place. I'm going, no, that we're in that place, right? And in all our different ways, we got stuff, junk, sin that needs to be dealt with and roots of it to need to be killed. And, and God's doing that with us this morning. So that's why we're here. Uh, that's why we're here in Fullerton. That's why Grace is meeting across town in La Mirada and countless churches above us and below us, as we can hear, to, uh, to be used by God to help people um, come back out to life from death. We have two more parables here in Mark 4, if you turn there. And they both have to do with seeds. And Jesus says they're both about how God's kingdom grows. I decided about midweek that, that we're going to spend the majority of our time in this first parable, verses 26 through 29, and, and just make a brief point at the end of conclusion with the, the second one about the mustard seed, but really focusing in on this first uh, parable. Um, but uh, growing is on my mind a lot this year. Wanting to see the church grow, wanting to see Christians grow, wanting to see people come to Christ, our elders, uh, as we meet week in and week out. I mean, we're a new, new little congregation over here, just a, a little over a year old. Um, and maybe you, like us, are, think about this all the time. We, I want to see this church grow. We still live in La Mirada, so I see people from Grace La Mirada a lot. And usually the first question is, How's, how is Fullerton going? And I know what they mean is there's this, they, they want to hear something. Is it growing? Are people growing? Is it growing in size? And, and uh, that's a fair question to ask, right? We're, we're here because we want God's kingdom to grow. We want more people to enter into it. Um, one of the main reasons we launched to here was this desire to extend uh, uh, the reach of our church and our people into another community and into neighborhoods and into to the lives of people that don't know Jesus, right? Um, we want to see God's kingdom grow in numbers, 
We want people to know freedom. We just sang about that, that, that um, you laid down your life so that we could be set free. That's why we want to see growth. We want to see people free. I thought of a verse that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. And we want, we want people to know freedom from this blindness, this inability to know and see and enjoy the God who made them. That's a bondage Paul's talking about. And, 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 and the church exists to be used by God to help open eyes and help people see the light. If you're a believer, God helped you come to see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the, um, uh, who is the image of God. And we want to grow as God's children, don't we? That's why you're here. I want to grow. I want to be more like my heavenly father. I want you to be more like your heavenly father. We want to grow. Our catechism question, we glorify God by enjoying him and loving him and trusting him and by obeying his commands and law. And we do all, things in, all these things in part, don't we? But we want to do them more. There's this desire, I want to glorify you with all that I am. So this is the question that I think Jesus' parable uh, has some encouraging points to, be, to make for us here, is that uh, how will the lost get saved and how will the saved uh, get mature, right? How is that kind of growth going to happen? Personally, individually, how are people going to come from death to life? And then how are people made alive going to grow to be like their father? This parable is about this. So let's read it. Pray for ears to hear. And think together. Mark 4, 26. Again, the setting, Jesus is teaching these big crowds out by, by the sea of Galilee. Back at the beginning of chapter 4, it says there's so many crowds, he's in a boat so that they can all hear him. Um, and he teaches this little parable. He says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts. And grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, and then when the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Short, simple little story. Not a ton of details. Um, but this is encouraging uh, to us who are looking to see God's kingdom grow and to be used as part of it. Four things I think that I see in here, uh, answers to the question, how will God grow his kingdom? How, are, how is the church going to grow big and how is the church going to grow up, right, to maturity? Number one, seed scattering. It's part of God's plan for how his church is going to grow. It's going to grow as seed gets scattered Lots of it, right? Scattered, right? Not just <laughs> like this, but scattered seed liberally. The kingdom of God is if, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Two weeks ago, Tom preached on, on this parable of the soils at the beginning of the chapter. Um, and uh, 
Jesus makes it clear that the seed that is scattered is the word. The sower sows the word. It's the word of the gospel. It's the word of truth about Jesus and the invitation then that comes with it to respond. And so uh, the kingdom of God is going to grow um, as we share that message and as we actually voice that invitation to people. We implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And that it'll, it'll grow as we scatter it far and wide, right, to the ends of the earth. Every tongue and tribe and nation, God intends to have seeds scattered on it. And he's chosen that we're going to scatter it. That's his plan. We might look at that and say, wasn't a better plan than that? <laughs> Us? But God says, no, this is my plan. I want you to scatter seed. Let's just think in the gospel for a minute uh, how we've seen this. Jesus came and he started the scattering. In, in Mark 1, 14 and 15 again, Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time's fulfilled. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so here's the message. Repent and believe the gospel. And from this moment, he's just a man on a mission in Mark, right? He gets to Capernaum, immediately goes in on the Sabbath in a synagogue, and he begins teaching. And along with that, casting out demons and, and giving uh, evidence of his authority to teach and say the things he's teaching. And then he just goes from town to town and synagogue to synagogue scattering seed. Mark 1, 38 says, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. That's why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in synagogues, casting out demons, scattering seed, scattering seed, scattering seed. Picks up some 12, you know, this, these 12 disciples along the way and he brings them along. He's just scattering seed, scattering seed. He's so busy scattering seed, his mom thinks he's, uh, he's out of his mind, right? He's, afraid, he's skipping lunches. He's scattering so much seed, right? <laughs> She's worried for him. And then it's clear he intends uh, for, for that to be entrusted to others. He, he chooses these 12, and Gerald uh, preached on this passage, but he, why did the, he, he choose these 12 messengers, apostles, delegates, he calls them? So they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and scatter seed. Others are going to do it. Later in chapter 6, we're actually going to see he's going to send them out in pairs and they're going to go out and they're going to preach and preach and they're going to come back and report um, that God is, is, is bringing growth. The seed is growing. And then at the end of the Gospels, after Jesus is raised, there's this commission. Go into all the world, scatter seed, um, uh, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, Right? Or Acts 1, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. You're going you're, you're gonna, to you're gonna scatter seed a message about me, the risen Jesus, that you've seen and know. And it's going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And, and so one of the reasons we know that he's not just giving this commission to the 12, but to us too, is they died. It's still not to the ends of the earth, right? There's lots of places that the seed of the gospel has never been scattered we're entrusted with this, not just the elite, not just the few, not just the 12, not just the pastors, but his church. We are called the scatter seed, right? You with me? Are we, are we together? <laughs> so, and then in Acts 8, there's this really cool scene. Well, it's, it's a tragic scene. Stephen is martyred for scattering seed. And look what happens right after that. 
Acts 8.1 says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I think that's important right here. So Luke is saying, so actually the apostles didn't, didn't scatter out from Jerusalem, but all these new Christians scattered out to the surrounding areas, fleeing Jerusalem with their families for their lives. And what did they do as they went? Verse 4, those who scattered went about preaching the word. That's cool. God forces their hand. As they scatter, they are scattering seed along the way. Christians are scattering seed. That's what we're called to do. And as churches begin to sprout up in all these places in Acts, we see they begin to fund missions and send out missionaries and fund missionary journeys so that seed can just get scattered further and further and further. And so this is God's plan that we're still a part of. You, if you're a believer, you're here because people scattered the seed of the gospel in your life, right? Probably not just once, but lots of times and lots of people. I think when we, every time we bring in new members, we'll line them up in our Lord's Supper service and go down the line and we'll just ask them to share who's just one person who was instrumental in you coming to either know and, or trust or grow in the Lord. And, and it's just so fun to hear all these different people, moms and dads and piano teachers and youth pastors and, and, and radio preachers and all kinds of people have scattered seed uh, and, and something's grown. That, we're part of that growth. So scattering seed. Something else about this. Jesus makes clear in the parable of the soils, there's lots of seeds going to get scattered and it's not going to grow. Sounds, seems wasteful. <laughs> this method, God's method, involves there's a lot of seed. A lot of God's word is going to be shared, explained, uh, invitation is going to be given, and, and nothing's going to happen, right? All different reasons. Some, Satan's just going to snatch it up immediately through distraction and hardness of heart, and, and it's just not even going to penetrate. It's just going to be heard right out through the other ear, just in one ear, out the other. Some, it'll linger for a while and eventually get choked out by all kinds of things, right? Other more enticing things, other gospels, right? Other offers of where real life is, other idols that promise um, happiness and fulfillment, and it's going to just choke that word out and... Fear is going to choke it out. Fear of the cost of following Jesus. And all these things are going to result in lots of the seed we scatter isn't going to grow. Some is, thankfully, it says some will bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold, but a lot of it's not. But nevertheless, the, the, the prescription is scatter seed, right? I want to make a confession. As I, as I thought about this week, where, where I was really convicted is I can be a very frugal scatterer. Timid, but frugal. I mean, this picture of just this, I just go, that doesn't, that doesn't often look like my daily individual life as I interact with people. Um, I can so want every indication and guarantee up front that this word is going to be received that if I don't think it's going to be, I just don't share it. You know that? That feeling? That timidity? I've used this illustration before, but I can go about it kind of like I went about asking girls out in high school. I wasn't a cool guy in high school. Probably not how Tim asked girls out in high school. He probably just walked right up confidently and just asked, and, and they, they said yes. And, you know. If you were like me, guys, freshmen in high school, this is the way it went. You know, you get your friends, 
and you and through a series, uh, intricate series of note passing. Usually, you get your friends to go do recon with her friends and and figure it out, sort of, you know. And and then they get that back to you, right? And and so you, I either have this guarantee: if I ask, she's going to say yes, or not. If I have no guarantee, I ain't asking, right? It's, it's, it's very cowardly, right? <laughs> but hey, we're freshman guy. We look like we do as a freshman. That's the best we can do. Anyway, but I was thinking about that, so that insecurity of unless I'm absolutely sure the answer is going to be yes, then no deal. I'm not going to ask. And I can approach sharing about Jesus that way, sadly. I, mean, I think about these parable of the soils. I can take that parable of soils. I don't think Jesus intended for us to take that parable and then use it as a grid that we prejudge people and we say, okay, we're just looking for good soil, right? No way. Way too many rocks in that life. Not even, not even going to waste my time. Hard. That's a hard heart right there. That's not going to grow. I'm not going to waste my time. I'll just keep this seed right here until I find a nice little planter that's, that's it's, it's, it's uh, watered and no rocks and it's just perfect. And I'm just going to, you know, I'll just share right there with that person. I can, I can approach. That is not scattering seed. And why do I do that? Why do we do that? I think it's a number of things. I think it's this dumb assumption and overinflated sense of my personal importance. Everything hangs and depends on me, Right? It's like Moses, when, when God says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I, and I want you to give him a message. I want you to tell him, let my people go. And he's backpedaling and wringing his hands and, uh, duh, 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 you know, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. I'm not eloquent of speech or tongue, right? I mean, he immediately goes there and, and there's some of that for us, right? Combined with, I think, um, maybe a, a pessimism. I can be like Eeyore about the power of the gospel, in itself to be, uh, to be beautiful and for God to use it to draw people to repentance. I can sort of have this attitude, it probably won't grow, you know, probably won't work. And we get pessimistic because we live in a world that's hostile to Jesus, right? And so we see lots of examples of seed just not growing and it can be discouraging, but but it can lead me to doubt the power of the seed rather than say, no, 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 that's an indication of bad soil, Right? The seed, the word of the gospel, is the power um, that God's going to use to save. And then I just add to that all my junk, my pride, my ego, my fear of man. Don't want to be thought foolish or made foolish. Don't want to have unpleasant, awkward conversations. And it's like, I'll just keep that seed in my bag, thanks. Till the right moment. I think sometimes we say, God, I'm praying for an opportunity or an open door. In my mind, that's probably so narrow and specific and limited that God's saying, you're not going to get that. Just scatter seed, right? Scatter seed. The sower in this parable, it's a beautiful picture. He just scatters seed on the ground. This is a picture of how God is going to grow his kingdom. The scattering seed. And Jesus wants to encourage us, scatter lots of seed, lots of seed. Just one last little encouragement with this, because we're not, we don't all have the same opportunities. Some of you, because of your vocation, your, your, the community that you're in, you have opportunity uniquely to scatter seed to a lot of people. You're around a lot of people 
who, have, who are blind to the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus, right? Others of you, your season in life, your opportunity is to scatter a lot of seed on a few people. I, mean, I was thinking of moms right now at a stage where maybe that's just your kids. It's not to 100, it's to three or two, but scatter seeds, scatter seed, lots of seed. That's how God's kingdom's gonna grow. That's how people are gonna move from death to life and then grow up in Jesus. So scatter seed. That's number one, liberal seed scattering. Number two, at the beginning of verse 27, uh, it's going to happen through faithful farming. Jesus con- conspicuously says very little about what the farmer does beyond scattering in this, but he does say this. He sleeps and he rises night and day. After scattering the seed, he sleeps and he rises night and day. Does that sound like a stressed out farmer in Jesus' little parable? You can, you can respond. No, yeah. No, this picture I think of, of rising and sleeping night and day, I, I think between the lines of that assumes he's not doing nothing. Scatter seed and then just for nine months just does this, right? I think the assumption is he's faithfully doing all the things, you know, farmers do, right? He's watering and weeding and, and taking care of pests and clearing rocks and, and just doing what farmers do. But every night going to bed, head hits the pillow and sleeping, Right? Trusting that after he's done his part, his job is done. Yeah, he just keeps farming. Like Dory, just keeps farming, just keeps farming. You know, he just, just keeps farming day and night, patiently. We see lots of examples, I think, in the New Testament of 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 what else besides just scattering the seed? I don't think the picture in the New Testament is just, in Acts, they're not just blitzing gospel tracks everywhere and then moving on, right? Just slipping one under a windshield and moving on. But, but lots comes along with scattering seed, right? Just a few examples. Acts 18 says Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks and that's a picture of ongoing faithful every week in the Sabbath, reasoning and persuading. That takes time, right? It's, it's cultivating. It's, it's coming alongside the truth, the, the message of the gospel, and, and, and trying to explain it and answer arguments against it, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says he implored people to be reconciled to God. What does implore mean? means pleaded with people, right? Urged people strongly. So it's not just giving the message of the gospel, but it's, it's actually taking that uncomfortable step to say, what are you going to do with it? Would you respond to it? Please respond to this in faith. I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Acts 20, Paul says, after spending three years with, with this church in Ephesus, he says, uh, I declared anything that was profitable teaching you day and night. He studied God's word for for years with these people. Acts 18, we get this guy, Apollos, says he was eloquent and competent in the scriptures. That's a good thing. Um, And it says he spoke and taught accurately and he spoke boldly and he powerfully refuted those who denied Jesus was the Christ. So faithful farming is going to include an element of apologetics even, being able to defend the faith. 
and answer arguments and answer objections. It's kind of like clearing stones from the field, right? Doing work to help, you know, cultivate an understanding uh, and, a, and a trust in the message of the gospel. All of these things, I think, are, are part of it. Jesus doesn't mention them in here, but I think as he sleeps and rises night and day, the picture is ongoing, faithful, just doing what we can to cultivate that seed that we've sown. Side note, I just, we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded here that that looks very routine, doesn't it? It's not very spectacular. Sometimes I think we read the book of Acts and you get some of these highlights and 3,000 were added, 5,000 were added that day, right? And you're just like, wow, wow, you know, and Acts just seems so spectacular, but, but lots of unspectacular happens, Right? in between all those moments, sometimes revival, sometimes moments that God just does a work, just says, stand back, I'm gonna do something big here, right? I'm gonna make all of a sudden a giant growth spurt. But often, this is very routine. Isn't this the way God, the word growing in us individually often works? We'll get discouraged if if we, it's like every day I sit and when I read, read my Bible, we can feel like, Nothing perceptible happened there. I just, I, I just read it and, okay, well, I, I got to start on my to-do list, right? And the next day, you read, you pray, and sometimes there's little that's perceptible, right? But there's something about that that's like faithful farming, right? We, we continue to do the things that cultivate on our part God's word being understood and, and trusted and obeyed, um, and we're faithful to it. Faithful farming. All right, so that's two things. So God's going to expand his kingdom, bring people into it as we scatter seed and as we tend to it, as we faithfully farm. We do these things that, that, that we can to help explain and understand and appeal and invite people uh, and, and admonish one another and exhort one another to grow in it. But the emphasis clearly in this story, all, while all those things are true, is not on the scattering and the farming, um, but it's on... Um, what really causes growth, right? In this parable, the power to awaken faith or bring about real heart repentance, a kind of obedience that flows out of love and gratitude and trust. Jesus is saying the power to bring, about, bring that about isn't in the sower, it's in the seed, right? That's something that lies outside of your control, my control. I can't make that happen. Look at this, the last part of verse 27 and then 28. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Farmer knows a lot, but farmer doesn't. It sprouts and grows, and the farmer knows not how. And it says the earth produces by itself. I think Jesus is saying, the analogy is, this, in the same way that that spark of life that causes a seed that's dormant and dry to all of a sudden sprout green living life, and the same power that causes that life to keep flowing out and growing, in the same way that that right there, the farmer can't make that happen, in the same way that spark of new life being made alive in Christ, and that life that causes the fruit of the Spirit to grow, we cannot make that happen. That is above our pay grade. God does that. Jason Tresser, maybe some of you know him. He, uh, he and his family go to Grace La Mirada. He teaches at Biola. He's a biologist. 
He's a biola biologist, uh, and he oversees their organic farm, which I still haven't gone and seen. Have you seen him, Matt? I've heard it's, it's very cool. It's great. Yeah. Anyway, so he knows a lot about plants. He, he loves plants, right? Um, so I emailed him at the beginning of this last week because um, I was thinking about this. You know, this, it sprouts and grows. He knows not how and was thinking, well, now, certainly, we know, right? Back then, I mean, they didn't know. They just scattered it and watered it and prayed. And, and, but now, we, you know, but I, I emailed him and said, to what extent is it true? Is it still true that we would say, yeah, we still know not how? I want to read you part of what he sent back. This is great. Here's the punchline. It still is true, right? As much as we know, we know not how. This is what he said. In some ways, we do know what happens in germination. The cells of seeds respond to moisture and heat, and they begin dividing. And they begin to burn energy that's been stored, and they start expressing proteins that turn the cells of this tiny plant embryo into various types of cells in an adult plant. Don't go to sleep. This is, I think this is interesting. <laughs> The, the embryo makes vascular cells for roots and cells to make the stem and cells to make the branches and leaves and eventually cells that become blossoms and cells that become fruit. And he says there's lists and lists of different types of cells in all these tissues and lists and lists of proteins. There's volumes and volumes of books and research papers that describe what we know. On the other hand, he said, even with this volume of knowledge, we still don't quite know how germination happens. He says, how does the cell know when it's moist enough? How does the cell know when it's warm enough? How do the cells decide to become roots versus shoots? How do they know how many times to divide? How do roots know to grow down and shoots know to grow up? How do plants know when it's day and when it's night? Why do some seeds need to experience freeze and others don't? How do they sense night and day? How do cells organize themselves together in a wide leaf of lettuce or a long, slender leaf of corn? For every answer we can give, there follows 10 more new questions we can ask leading to a progressively smaller and more detailed level of understanding. The end of his email, he said, that's why most people just throw seeds out and water them. <laughs> but I love that even still, as much as we know, there's something that's going on in there that's happening that it's just beyond our control. We, we can manipulate and control so many factors and be successful. But at the end of the day, with, even with a plant, now that could just lead us off into worship and, we, and wonder at God's creation and the seed. But I don't want to get distracted. Jesus is just using that as an analogy of, of something else. And I think he's, the analogy is to new life, regeneration, and then sanctification, growing and bearing fruit of the Spirit. He's saying in a similar way... Um, we, we just don't make that happen. God, I lost, I lost myself. Hold on a second here. That's right. So he, he's talking about how seed ends up bearing fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold is, is something that, 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 is, that is something God does. And that doesn't mean that we don't help cultivate it, and God doesn't use all those efforts and methods as part of the process, but the spark, the life, is something that comes from God. Just as, as it is with seeds, so it is with souls. Uh, Paul 
talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3. You don't, don't have to turn there. Um, I'm going to put it up on the screen. But the, the situation is this church in Corinth is getting uh, sort of divisive. They're, they're beginning to draw lines and, and clickish, and they're sort of forming camps, and there's, there's conflict, right? And they're lining up. The dividing lines are really stupid. They're, they're lining themselves with different spiritual leaders. And some are saying, I'm a Paul man, right? And I'm on team Apollos, right? And they're beginning to sort of divide over who taught them the word of God, who led them to Christ and who helped them grow in Christ. I'm, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. And here's how Paul blows that up right here. Can, do you have that, 1 Corinthians 3? Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Leave that, you can leave that up there a second. As I read that again this week, I thought, you know, what is Paul? What is Paul? I think, well, he wrote Romans. <laughs> I mean, what is Paul? That, that's pretty awesome right there. I mean, he, he's, not, he's no slouch, right? I mean, if someone's going to help you understand the gospel, Paul's a pretty good one, right? He wrote Ephesians, too. I mean, he wrote a lot of stuff, right? I mean, this is a sharp dude. And he says, Paul's not anything. Apollos, not anything. It's God who gives growth. New birth is a work of God in the heart that I can't fabricate. I can't force it. And sanctification is a work of God in the heart that we can't force or fabricate. We can cultivate, but God gives growth. One application point from that uh, I want us to think about is, is the priority then of prayer and the ministry of the word in what we do as we gather as a church. Our elders have been talking about this recently as we've been just thinking again, we keep growing bigger and bigger and there's lots more demands and lots more need and, and layers of ministry and it just gets complicated. Well, in Acts 6, it was in a similar way as the church was growing rapidly. Uh, there was a situation where they were, they were trying to care for widows and they weren't all getting cared for equally. Some were getting overlooked and, and the apostles call some together and they say, listen, we got to choose some, some qualified people to make sure this need gets met so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. They say, these two things right here need to be our priority number one. I don't think they just meant just the apostles need to be praying and ministering the word or just the elders of churches do. I think it really means um, we need to make sure that those things don't stop happening in the church. That prayer continues, ministry of the word continues. Well, why? Well, it gets back to this parable. This is how the kingdom of God is going to grow, right? Seed is scattered, the ministry of the word, and it's going to sprout of itself, right? Prayer, we ask God to give growth question, which of those two things do you think we tend to give emphasis to in terms of how much time given? Ministry of the word or prayer? What do you think? Ministry of the word, right? That's a great thing to give lots of time to, but I think there's some reasons for that, right? I think that just based on how much time we spend, we can spend lots of time reading the word and studying the word and, and, and memorizing the word and meditating on the word, and, and then prayer can just sort of be shrunk down to something we do in closing or the little, little bits. It's telling, right? There's something about 
reading and understanding God's word that feels measurable. I can feel like I went away from that. I learned something or I accomplished something. And, and, and most often prayer to us can feel not productive, right? It's not like you get up and suddenly something changed. Something grew like right then. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of, there's this trust involved in prayer. And as a result, I think it, that can be the one that takes the hit out of prayer and ministry of the word. And, and we want both to be the things that we devote ourselves to. We want to be devoted to the word, but we want to be devoted to prayer. So I want to encourage you to be prayerful, persevere in prayer individually in your grace groups. I want to invite you a week from Wednesday. We're going to start praying here the last Wednesday every month for one hour. It's just a little bit more prayer than we do now together, but it's a start from 6.30 to 7.30 in here. Uh, so it's a week from Wednesday. We'd love for you to come. But we do that again because God gives growth, right? We don't want to just cultivate, cultivate. We want to ask God to give growth. Last point. The kingdom's going to grow as we scatter seed and we're faithful to farm it. Um, it's going to grow of itself. And lastly, uh, it's going to grow gradually, Jesus wants us to, to remember. Seed's going to grow gradually. Verse 28 says, First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, and when the grain is ripe, then the harvest. Jesus is going to return and, and gather all those where the seed is grown. He's going to gather them all to himself. But there's a progression, a natural progression that's going to happen. It's gradual. Last month, there's been a growing science experiment, literally, in our kitchen window. Uh, two of them, actually. The first one started out of uh, some homeschooling with Lily and Levi, uh, learning about how things grow. And uh, they're, they're watching how a potato can sprout. Uh, the labels on there are indicating their names. Uh, on the left is tater tot, and on the right is sprout. Oh, no, uh, spud, sorry. Tater tot and spud. And uh, they've been sitting in the exact same spot in the window of our kitchen, getting the same water, uh, same sunlight, same everything. And, and, uh, and it was weeks that those two things sat there with their rear end in the water, and nothing happened. And then finally this little, you know, this little sprout. What do you call it on a potato? Does anyone know? I. Some started to sprout out and then little by little these things. Over here this guy needs like a beard trim on the right. But this gradual slow, you know, and we watch it every day and you'd swear nothing's happening. But now I look and I go, wow, something has clearly happened there right on the right. It was this gradual uh, process. Uh, we have these two bulbs. I don't know what they are. What kind are they? Huh? Hyacinth. So these have also been in our kitchen window. I moved them outside to take a picture. But again, same kind of flower, same shape vase, same water, same sunlight, the side by side, everything. And dude on the right is going for it, right? I mean, there's just like three times as many roots and it's got this huge bloom. And one over on the left is sort of chugging along and not so many roots, but there's still something, you know, blooming on the top. There's a progression to the growth in plants. And Jesus is saying, the same is true of my church in the world, and the same is true of uh, believers. The, the, the work of grace in the heart of a believer and the growth to maturity that happens even on an individual basis. It's a process. We'd be stupid to assume it's all going to grow at once, like Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Come to Christ, just perfect, right? In every way, it just doesn't happen that way. And we'd be foolish to assume it's always going to look exactly the same and at the same rate in every place. Every church doesn't grow uniformly. Every Christian doesn't grow uniformly. 
we have fits and starts and different, different paces and slow seasons and, and revival and, and different things. And nevertheless, that's growth. And uh, Jesus wants us to know it's going to be like this. Two encouragements for this. Number one, let's not despise sprouts. A sprout is a surer sign of life than plastic fruit, right? A sprout is a sign of life. Little evidences that the love of Christ is winning us over and having a softening uh, worship uh, developing uh, influence is a sign of life. And so let's not despise sprouts. Hold them responsible for not being full-grown fruit. That's just stupid, right? You don't get fruit unless there's a sprout. So don't, you know, <laughs> don't blame the sprout for not being fruit yet. It's on its way, right? So let's not despise sprouts. There's a pastor I follow on Twitter named Scotty Smith. And a couple of years ago, I noticed that he kept, you know, every once in a while tweeting with this, this same little hashtag, this theme, Assign your growing in grace. Then he just shortened it. I, I'm putting this up there. If you want to go look this up, if you're on Twitter uh, and just search on this hashtag, you can read lots of examples. But he began just from time to time tweeting examples of signs of grace that often are things that we overlook and we don't notice. And, and uh, I, I think it's his attempt uh, to try to help us not despise sprouts. Just listen to a, a few. These are a few of my favorites in this regard. Uh, one, a while back. When reacting to a foolish driver, your glare isn't as mean nor your horn blast as long. <laughs> so instead of, you know, like this, it's like, oh. <laughs> you know, like that. And he says, that's a sign you're growing in grace, right? It's not that you didn't glare, you didn't honk, it just was shorter. Okay, that's a sprout, let's not despise it. Or he says, uh, here's one, you make fewer excuses and you offer fewer face-saving explanations when you hurt people. Note, you still make excuses and offer face-saving explanations. He's just saying fewer. Or we could add to that, you're willing to confess when you make excuses and face-saving explanations for hurting people. That's a sprout. That's a sign you're growing in grace. One more. When left out of things in which other friends were included, it hurts but doesn't kill. It still hurts, but doesn't kill. There's, there's, a, there's a progression there, right? He's trying to help us not despise sprouts. We can do it in others, and we can do it in ourselves, right? We're really good at doing it with others, but some of us are really good at doing it in ourselves, right? We're just un, we, we look over so much good growth, Right? God loves Spud and Teeter Tot. <laughs> right? Whichever one of those you feel like you are. <laughs> Let's not settle for sprouts either, though. That's a whole other sermon, right? But that's worth noting, right? There's, there's scripture where, you know, Paul's, or the, you know, the scripture says things like, by this point, you ought to be, but you're still, there, there's, there's room for also saying, come on, sprouts, right? But, but here, let's not despise them. Secondly, it goes along with that, but that means be patient. The farmer in this, this parable is not harried and distraught and discouraged. He rises and sleeps night and day. He trusts the process. And so let's entrust ourselves to the process that God says is going to bring growth, right? So we scatter seed, we faithfully farm, and we pray, and we trust God to give growth gradually. That sort of sums up this parable. 
All right, so we're almost done. What about the mustard seed? I just want to make one point of conclusion from the mustard seed. This little tiny parable here about a little tiny seed uh, makes a, a point about the greatness of the message that we're supposed to scatter. It reminds us this is an amazingly great message. I read a summary, uh, a one-sentence summary of the Lord of the Rings this week that, that said this, the whole Lord of the Rings story, evil crushed under the weight of weakness. Think about that. Evil crushed under the weight of weakness, right? I'll say it up front. Spoiler alert. Okay, so you can plug your ears if you want. But at the end of the Lord of the Rings, how does, how does this massive battle of, of, of good and evil end, right? The evil Sauron and all his armies, just masses of armies, masses of CGI armies that Peter Jackson made for us to see, swarming against all these other armies of elves and men and just this huge battle. But how is evil crushed? When all seems lost in this little, seemingly insignificant, weak little hobbit, through much suffering, he destroys the one thing that threatens to enslave every living being in Middle-earth. Evil is crushed under the weight of weakness in Tolkien's story. He didn't just make that idea up. That's the story of the gospel, right? That's a summary of the story of God's kingdom triumphing. Let's read it real fast. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The smallest of all seeds becomes the largest of all the plants in the garden and offers shade for all the birds of the air. If this is a picture of the kingdom of God, then I think Jesus is the true mustard seed, right? Think about it. Jesus' death was like the planting of this little mustard seed, and his resurrection was the beginning of it sprouting. And his resurrection life flowing into all those who receive him is the growth of, of his kingdom. The thing that had the power to enslave us was sin, and, and he paid for it on the cross. And he did it in a moment that was seemingly pathetic and weak and shameful. He hung and he suffered and he suffocated and he bled and he gasped and he died. And God allowed it to happen. And in his weakness, he, he satisfied God's wrath completely in weakness. He crushed Satan under his weak foot. And I think that this, king, this mustard seed principle then ends up being reflected in us in miniature again and again and again. What Jesus has done ultimately as we follow him, as we deny ourselves, we take up our crosses and we follow him, we become many versions of the same parable. God uses something small and seemingly insignificant and weak and he brings forth much fruit. That's cool. Evil crushed under the weight of weakness, which is why I love, as we finish, Paul said to Christians in Rome, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Under your feet. Ultimately, it's under Jesus' foot. But God, we're part of Jesus' foot, right? What a great message to scatter. 
Uh, in the last five minutes, I actually want to invite us to pray, maybe a few of you, out loud um, on our behalf, so loud enough that we can hear, brief enough that a few could pray. But here, here's some ways that we can turn these truths into prayer. Let's pray that God would give us boldness and zeal to scatter lots of seed, to be fearless. Kind of like Peter and John, we cannot help but speak of what we've seen, right? Let's pray that God would keep us from being discouraged and worried and fretful and just faithfully farming, okay with the routineness of it and entrusting the results to God. Let's ask God to give growth. Let's ask God that people would come to trust Jesus, that we would baptize people here in this room um, and celebrate together and that we would see his church grow in holiness here in our midst. And let's ask God to give us patience and leave the results to him. So. Uh, with that one, let, let's pray, and, and then Jesse will lead us in a closing song.